Now, um, we're going to be looking into God's Word in Genesis, in the Bible, in the first book of the Bible. Uh, And we're going to be looking into chapter 8, at the end of chapter 8 and chapter 9. We do this, uh, if uh, you haven't been here before, every Sunday. Part of our our time of worship uh, is to to look at God's Word together and to to learn from it, to see what... And again, our prayer is that it's not just a, a mind, intellectual exercise, but that God will speak to us, that the Holy Spirit, He's here God promises to be with us as we worship him together. And our prayer is that as we we look at God's word, so that kind of truth begins to come alive in our hearts and then out into our lives. So uh, it's on page number 10, if you want to uh, look at it in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, in the Bibles that are in front of you. It's in the Old Testament. It's the first book the very first book of the Bible. And we've been looking at Genesis, this book of uh, these first few chapters of the Bible, for a few weeks now. Um, it's very much a book of beginnings. It's, uh, that's what Genesis means. The very first word of the, of the book is about beginning. It's how the Bible begins. And, and the Bible, as you may or may not know, is, is God's... Uh, big story. It's the big story of God and the human race. How God wants to be involved with us as people. How his heart is, is, is that we should know him and live our lives in relation to him as well as to one another and so on. And we meet God right on the, uh, the, pay, the very first verse of Genesis, the very first verse of the Bible introduces us to the God who is the creator, who makes this amazing creation. And as part of that, actually at the peak of it are human beings who are are people made for relationships, made for relationship within that creation, made for relationships with each other, made for relationship in community, made for relationship within uh, that creation and with God too. The story tells us, as you, you may remember, how we were given this choice to live, with the, uh, to live within God's boundaries, to accept and to worship him and to trust his truth, his way for our lives, or we could turn away. We weren't forced to, and we turned our back on God. And there were some terrible consequences came into our world because of that. And when we get to Genesis chapter 6, where we were uh, last time, or, or two weeks ago, we've been, this is our third week in this particular section. We're very much at a low point in the story. Things are bad. It's a low point of where humanity has got to and how God feels about that. You read it in chapter 6. If you want to get more, then get it online from last week. Uh, Louise was preaching last week on it and and Peter Dodd the week before. But we see there that, that, that the human heart, it says, is set. It seems to be set in the direction of only evil all the time. That's that phrase. It's a terrible phrase to read, and, and it's an indicator of the, the, the low point at which the human race uh, has come to. And we read there, as we were reminded last week, that God is in anguish. He's grieved. He's in pain that, he may, that he'd even made man on the earth. And it says, actually, in the text, God's heart was full of pain. 
That's in jo- uh, chapter uh, 6 there in verse, um, uh, verse, chapter 6, verse 6 on page 8. The Lord was grieved that he'd made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. And so verse 7 of that chapter tells us he decides to, to finish it. It's a terrible place to be. And yet we also heard last week of how merciful God is and how gracious he is. He doesn't wipe out the entire human race. He's not going to give up on the human race completely. There's this man called Noah who finds favor with God or God's grace finds him. And God is gracious to him and he's going to be the one who will rescue the animal creation and start afresh. He's someone who walked with God, who knew God, who loved God who wanted God's love in his life. And we know the story of Noah and the ark, and that's what we've been thinking about. And last week we saw how that after the world was flooded and the waters went down, they came out of the ark, and they stand, Noah and his family and their kids and, and the, uh, the animals, all a huge menagerie of, of kind of samples of, of all the species of the earth are out there. They're standing on this freshly washed earth, And they worship the Lord. They give him sacrifices of thanksgiving. And we were thinking then of how God's grace has worked to rescue them. And time and again, we're only at Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8 at the moment. We've been reading all through these accounts. How God, we see God allowing humanity the freedom to turn away. But we see how he, he, he... He doesn't force them back to him, but he's all the time limiting the damage, working on a plan to bring us back, but bringing us back to him in a way that prompts us to love him willingly, not forcing us back, but for us to love him freely again. Not wiping out the human race and doing something different, but wanting to win us back. And that's the theme of the whole Bible. (laughs) That's the big story of what God is doing. And you know, it can be your story and my story too. God winning us back, rescuing us, no matter what's happened, not just wiping us out, but bringing us back home into relationship with him. So these people are rescued from judgment because God has provided a way for them to be safe. And they respond in worship and praise. And we thought last week that we need to be rescued. And we find that rescue in Jesus. And we thought about that last week. And it's a story, isn't it, of a fresh start. And we're going to read some of it in a minute. But there's this fresh start, kind of a new beginning. Many of us maybe long for a fresh start in some part of our life. What this story is telling us, that that God's all for fresh starts, new beginnings. It's what the waterfall's about, isn't it? Offering that fresh start that people might know through God's love in Jesus. And this is the story of how the human race gets a fresh start. That's why I've called it um, humanity. I don't know if you've got the notice sheet there, but um, it says humanity one uh, colon one. It should be (laughs) 1.1. You know, if you've ever used a Microsoft product, you'll know what that's about. You know, so they keep the, it's, this is not, not exactly a new version, but this is another chance, another opportunity. God's great love is being shown.
And it tells us that God is able to bring about that kind of fresh start in us as we respond to his grace. It's about God's goodness. God desires to be part of our lives. He wants us to willingly give ourselves to him. And we can respond to that love. We can respond to that desire. But believe me, it's our move. He's not going to make us. If we don't respond to him, if we turn our back on him, then what more can he do? Don't turn your back. Don't walk away. Respond to God's love. Well, let's read Genesis 8 and see where it goes. Uh, we'll start at verse 20 we're going, uh, of 8, and then we'll go to a few uh, chapters of verse 7 of 9. So if you were here last week, you would have read this before. But verse 20 on page 10. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Obviously, they, they bred, you know, during the you know, year that they'd been in the ark or so. Um, otherwise, that wouldn't have been a very wise strategy, would it? The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting." I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase and multiply on the earth. Increase upon it. Does those, uh, la those last words there, does that remind you of anything? We've been studying Genesis. Does it remind you of anything we've read before in Genesis? Anyone? Yeah? Yeah, I can see some nods. It's, it's just like it was right at the beginning, isn't it? It's just like what God told the first human couple right in Genesis 1 to do. It's like the original creation. There's this blessing that was given then that they would fill the earth to be fruitful and multiply. That's where we got this, get this idea of a fresh start. And there are other things that you might pick up that remind us of that first creation account. You remember right at the beginning, there was water all over the face of the earth, wasn't there? Well, Noah's just you know, come out of a place where there was water all over the face of the earth. In the beginning, in that Genesis 1, it reads that God, God's spirit, God breathed upon, you know, God's spirit, God's wind, it's the same word in Hebrew, is moving across the, the face of the earth in creation in Genesis 1. And again, it says in the uh, flood story, God blew, the, the wind is kind of, and the waters, the wind is blowing across the waters, and the, the, the land and the waters are separating all of that is about is similar to what happened in Genesis chapter one. So we're we're in this 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 new place, and this is called a blessing in verse one of chapter nine. God blessed Noah 
and his son. And that word blessing, it, it, it involves, a, it implies a, a God being part of our lives. That, that he, as God speaks to Noah and his family, he says, I'm blessing you. I want, you to, I want to be part of your life. I want you to, to know kind of wholeness and, and, and a good life in that sense because I'm part of it. That's what I want for you. I want to bless you. I want you to have me, says God, as a reference point in your life. And in chapter tw- verse 21 of chapter 8, God's saying, it's not, this isn't going to happen again. The earth will not be put through all of this stuff again that it's just been through. But, and we were reminded this last week, man's heart has still not changed. Because there it is in verse 21. Every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. Our hearts are still inclined the wrong way. Yet God is saying, despite that, I'm not giving up on this humanity. My mercy, my grace, says God, is there. So it's about a fresh start, but the world is still broken. They haven't gone back to the Garden of Eden. The problem is still there in humanity. Now we need to hear this, don't we? Because, you know, fresh starts of any kind will always include bits of the old brokenness. And we have to live with that. We have to deal with that. We need God's grace and God's help. Again, it's what you guys at the waterfall are all about, helping people kind of live for God with the brokenness and the, that, that needs to be worked through and worked with the Holy Spirit gives us the disciplines to work on all of that stuff whatever healing we have will not last forever Lazarus died eventually and he was raised from the dead whatever God does in our lives spectacular though it is we are still in this broken world and and we still have to live within that and God is blessing the human race. God is saying to, to this, this new beginning of the humanity that I want to help you to live within that brokenness. Yeah, God can do that for us too. To help us live with the stuff. Yeah, deal with it gradually. Some of it will go and all of that. But, but still, we'll still be tempted. We're still in this world. The natural inclination of the human heart has not changed. But God in his love and his mercy is beginning again with this human family and saying, I want to help you with that. Do we realize that God wants to help us with that kind of stuff? We need that. We need to believe that. That we're working in our world with brokenness. And we need to believe that God can bless us there and help us work and move through it. Uh, and if some of it is always going to be part of our, our, our lives or an influence upon us, then we, we work with it. And do, who do we need this? Do we need it at a personal level? Yes, we do. Do we need it at an environmental level? We're going to think about that in a minute. Yes, we do. Have you noticed the world's not quite a perfect place any more than you're not quite a perfect person? Do we need it in international relations? Do we need it in Egypt, in Syria, in all these places where we're, we're, we're trying, making a, a god of, of democracy as we believe it should be and trying to impose it on the rest of the world? How, you know, how do we live with the brokenness out there? 
Well, God says, I want to be part of it. I want the human race to look to me. I want to bless you. I want to be part. I want you to live your lives in reference to me, says God to us as human beings. So we're in creation 1.1. A fresh start for humanity, but a humanity with this heart condition. This heart condition where we're inclined. We have this bias towards evil, sadly, as individuals and as communities too. So God guides Noah and his family through ways to live in three parts of their lives. They're to live with creation. They're to live with each other. And they're to live with God. First of all, we're going to look at them, each one, living with creation. That's in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 9. And if you read it, did you notice that a new kind of division comes between humanity and the animal creation? It changes. Uh, God says, a new fear and dread will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and so on. And maybe the reason for that is that the human beings are now told they can eat them, eat the animals. That's a kind of a new uh, thing in Genesis. Before, it wasn't seemed to didn't appear to be part of it. But look how God puts it. Look at the phrase that's used here. God says, they are given. I give you. You see, the human beings are to respect creation, to realize that it's been given to them, and there are responsibilities that go with that, and that we're not just to abuse it. If we're going to live the best way, if we're going to know God's blessing upon us as human beings, then we need to live respectfully with creation. We're not to abuse it. We're to realize that, that, that we're responsible to God for what we do in relation to the natural world. Sounds a, a good thing. So Noah, Noah is told there's a right way there to eat the animals, the ones that they do eat. There's a way to do that. And here it's, we're, we're told that they're not to have blood in them. Now, what's all that about? Well, if we go through the, uh, the Bible, we, you, you see later, and it says here that, that blood is a sign of life. It's called the life blood. And it, it may be that what God is saying is that, that, look, you know, the way you deal with animals, even when you eat them, you've got to respect that, that they're living beings and that life that they have has been given them from God. It's a way about, of, of kind of respecting the, the animals that they're going to actually eat even. Later in the Old Testament, it's used as a symbol of, of the life of an animal when sacrifices are given, blood is sprinkled, because the picture is that the animal's life is being given instead of the worshipper. And the sign of that is the blood of the animal. Now, that's part of the Old Testament law. When we get to the New Testament, there's another whole new angle on that, and that's why Christians don't practice, you know, don't follow that custom today, although uh, Muslims and Jews do. The New Testament uh, tells us that, that our relationship to the old law has changed. But there's a principle there, isn't there? There's a principle that we can follow that, that we're not just to go into, you know, for unbridled slaughter, just to, you know, kill anything and eat it in a, just a kind of almost you know, out-of-control way. It, there could be this idea. There, are, there were some ancient peoples who, 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 who would delight to feast on animals like like 
a wild animal would do, you know, kill them, and barely before the animal was live, uh, dead rather, eat it raw. Sorry, vegetarians, this is really going to do you in. But, but you know, to, to eat it even raw before, before it was properly dead. And now that, some scholars think, maybe is a reference to this. But the point is, the principle is, we're to be respectful of creation. God is concerned about how we use creation. We're accountable to him. And he wants us as human beings to be aware of this. And if we are, it's good for us. It's part of God's blessing on us. He blessed Noah and he said, I'm going to bless you. And so I'm going to, it's going to be good for you if you use creation responsibly in reference to me, says God. I've given it to you. You're not just, it's not your rights. It's not, you can't just do whatever you like with the rest of my creation, says God to the human race. We need to hear this, don't we? Today, in what we're doing to creation. Well, if you're looking for a creation ethic, well, here's the root of it. But it's to do with our responsibility before a creator God. We could work that all kinds of ways. So that's living with creation. Secondly, what about living with one another in verses 4 to 7? Because God says if if the life of of, uh, the animal creation is precious, well, human life is very precious. God cares about human life. And again, here's this word that comes up, what, three times is it? Three, Three times here. This word accounting accounting you know when you're accountable to someone you have to do what you're doing you have to do it because you know you've got the the idea that you answer to them It, it controls your behavior because you're accountable to someone else you know if it's in whatever context you're in if you've got a job and you've got a job description and you've got a boss then you know what you do at work you have to follow it don't you because you're accountable to the, your boss to the job description to whoever employs you so it is here and God says again we're accountable for him we live in this broken world now we've seen all this before in in the story of Cain and Abel but but God is saying now look you're living in a world where actually people might get killed and, and you know, how do we live in, this, in this, this kind of broken world? How do we live in a world where it's only evil in people's hearts all the time? How do we do that? God says human life is not to be taken. Killing is not what God wants, and we're answerable to God for that. It's so serious that the death penalty is given here, if someone kills another person. Now that was carried on in the Old Testament. It's in the Old Testament law. Um, It's not practiced today in our culture. We don't follow it. And I think there's good reasons for that as well. I don't think that, you know, the Bible says that, that, that in this case here, and they did it in the Old Testament law, doesn't mean that we still should do it today. Again, the New Testament gives us a new angle on it. And lots of Christians have different views on that, and we can discuss that. But, but, but there are good reasons why we limit the taking of life in terms of justice. It's a bit of a debatable issue. 
But the principle behind it is what matters. We're accountable for God to God for human life. Why? There it is in verse 6. In the image of God, he made man. We're made in God's image. This is at least the third time in Genesis that we've been told this. So we're to respect human life. We're to respect human life not because of the quality of a person's life. Not because they've got a good life or a a bad life. We're to respect uh, human life despite what, what a person may have done or what's been done to us or what we've done. Our respect for human life does not depend upon that. Our respect for human life does not depend uh, upon whether we have conscious existence even, as we understand it. It may not depend on how well we are or how sick we are. It does not depend of, of, of what age we're at or what stage we're at. But because we're made in God's image, we matter. And life matters for that reason. And that's it, 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 our value lies there our value as human beings our our value matters it's what what we say is intrinsic it's it's part of what we are and nothing to do with what we do or what we don't do or what our circumstances are it's to do with our created nature as people made in god's image now we need to get hold of that don't we we need to take this on board and, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, that's for doctors or that's for research scientists or that's for embryologists or, or all those people. But no, it's not actually. It's for anyone who lives with limitation, lives with disability, or loves people who do, or lives with old age or failing faculties. We value human life because whatever happens to us, we're made in God's image, and that's the root of our ethics, as far as the Bible is concerned, as it seems to me. Finally, living with God. Verse 8, And God said to, his, uh, to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that uh, was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, Every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will our all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and life on earth. Living in the natural world, living with one another, where life is precious, living with God. There's a word here that appears uh, uh, for the first time in the Genesis account. For the first time, sorry, in the Bible, this word occurs in the story of Noah. It's the word covenant. 
We've read it in chapter 6. And that's a really key word. In chapter 6, verse 18, God says he would establish his covenant with Noah. Now he's saying it's with Noah's family, and not just that, but the whole natural world. It's a key word. God's covenant. What does covenant mean? A covenant is a promise to be in committed relationship, isn't it? We see it in the marriage service principally. You know, there's that phrase in the marriage service, I give you this ring as a sign of the covenant made between you and me this day. Covenants, a commitment. And God makes a commitment here. God promises that the earth will never be wiped away because of man's sin again. And he gives a sign. And the sign is the rainbow. And the sign says God cares about people. God cares about creation. And that God is committed in love to both. And he gives this sign that actually shows up best when the skies are darkest. Have you ever noticed that? It's a sign that the sun is still there even when it's raining. That's how rainbows work. And the sign says that God has a purpose for the human race. It says he loves this creation, that he's passionate about it, that he's committed to renewing the creation one day, and that human beings can come back home to him. That's what he's saying. And uh, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to pick this up next time. There's a lot more we can say about that. God's passionate love for all of his creation is seen in this rainbow. God's covenant, his commitment, his passion, his love. And we know ultimately how we come home because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done. So where does that leave us then? Fresh starts. Yes, we need that. We can come to God again and say, Lord, please just give me that fresh start. He wants us to know that. He wants us to know him. He wants us to walk on through life with him in the brokenness that is still part of our world. That's God. That's who he is. That's what he wants. It's a key principle. Going to respond to that? God's desire is to be part of our lives as human beings in a broken world. I've said it before, my favorite uh, phrase in the New Testament is when Paul in Acts 17 is preaching to people who don't know God and he says, God is not far from any one of us. He wants to be part of our lives. And that's what this story is telling us about the human race. And it, 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 it makes it in a sense so tragic that again, en masse, we turn against him. We don't do what he says. We don't honor life. We're mucking up creation. We're doing some terrible things. God's heart is broken, yet he still says, I want to bless you. I want you to come home to me. He sends Jesus as the way back. But he wants to be part of our lives in relation to creation, for us to live responsibly with a creation given by God. It's a way for humans to live. And it's the root of our our ethics as far as the environment and global warming and treatment of animals and, and one another, all those kind of things. It's rooted in this fact that we're responsible to God. And it's a way for us to live individually. 
maybe you should be a bit more careful. May I, I'm always taking uh, the mickey out, out of my dear brother David, who is so keenly, keenly environmental. And, you know, I, I, I kind of, uh, well, you know, I'm not, forgive me, David. I should live more like you. <laughs> we should all live more like those who say, yeah, we'll take recycling better. You know, it, it does matter. We care about the earth. Maybe we shouldn't use our cars as much or whatever. You know what I mean. I don't know about fracking, whether we should go and get in that camp. That's another subject. But in relation as well to other people, life is valuable. We're accountable to God. So humans should live like that. So the roots of our ethics as far as human life, as far as justice in society goes back to here. And it's also how we should live individually as well. And in relation to God... God's covenant passion for the human race and for this creation. We need his wisdom to live in this broken world, don't we? But much more than that, we need this restored relationship with him through Jesus Christ and what he's done. Just as Noah is rescued from judgment, we too can be rescued for a new start because of Jesus if we turn to him. Next week we'll continue a bit more about covenant and just see what happens because uh, if you read read the story beforehand, Noah doesn't end well for Noah. There's lots of things we can learn from that next week. Peter, back to you. Thanks.